Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. Good morning. Uh, I'm Julia Hobsbawm of Editorial Intelligence. Welcome to the comment conference here at Somerset House. This is, as the name suggests, a conference, of course, an all-day conference. Its topic is Brand New Britain, but it revolves really around the word comment. It's designed to elicit comment from some of our finest commentators and practitioners in their own areas, but also from you, the invited audience. And it is also literally and perhaps metaphorically designed to be a bit of a journey. Those of you who are going to spend all day with us are going to come on a boat down the Thames with us and back up the Thames again. And I hope that you're going to be stimulated in your thinking rather than the sometimes rather passive uh, setup that conferences can, can invoke in people. Hamish McRae is going to be in conversation any second now with Stuart Fraser. Stuart is, belongs to one of the partners of this morning's conference, namely City of London Corporation. He's the chairman of the Policy and Resources Committee. He's also a director of one of the leading independent stockbroking firms, which I think is apposite for somebody who's in charge of various aspects of our city life. Um, Hamish McRae is one of the most eminent economic commentators of his... If I say generation, you know what I mean, Hamish. Um, he is the associate editor of The Independent. He's also the author of a book, What Works, What It Takes to Succeed in a, global, in a Competitive Global Marketplace, which I have to say I have read and is very, very wonderful. So I thank you for coming and enjoy this session and enjoy the day. Well, thank, thank you so much, uh, uh, Julia. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, you know, we've, uh, we've got the air conditioning on um, and um, uh, we've got the rain coming in. Thank you for coming so early. I'm going to talk um, for about five minutes, um, four if I can get away with it, about my own perceptions of where the city is now, where London is now, the London economy. Um, uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, uh, Stuart one question, and then we're going to pass it uh, to you, uh, or see some friendly faces in, in, around already. Um, the, I want to assert something, which is that I believe that the city is wonderful as an open marketplace for talent. Um, it works because it is a magnet for talent. And I've actually written a chapter about it in this book. And people said, wait a minute, you know, success and you're talking about the city. Uh, and I said, you know, wait, what the city has been through is tiny compared with some of the blows that it's taken uh, over the past hundred and or more years. Um, and so I think we have to see what, what's happened now in finance uh, as a, a, a continuum, um, a reverse, but not nearly as serious a reverse as some of the ones which have happened before. Um, if you take not just the city, but you take the London region, um, it is arguably the, the nearest place on earth that is in any way choreographing globalization. 
Um, some stats. More international phone calls made uh, from London than any other place on earth. More people coming through the London airports than any other place on earth. 130 million a year is against 110 for New York. Um, more international money managed, of course. Um, but the one that I grab onto is that there are actually, it's the largest professional non-national community on the planet uh, within the, the London and the southeast of England. Depends a bit on how you define it. A quarter of a million people say. A quarter of a million professionals on that family, isn't it? So it is actually more of a bundle of talented people than any other place on earth, a non-national talented people, than any other place on earth, and by a huge margin. New York, probably, the New York region, half that number. Um, but, but there has been this huge reverse. I, it's a bit of a debating point, but if you say, actually, all the problems in British banking were in organizations not headquartered in the city or in London, you know, think about it, Royal Bank of Scotland, Bank of Scotland, all right, Lloyds was suckered into it, but uh, you know, we shouldn't go to uh, uh, cocktail parties in Spencer House and, be, uh, and have conversations with the Prime Minister. Um, uh, uh, um, Northern Rock, where, where it all began, even as a sort of secondary thing which didn't quite get their alliance, all alliance and Leicester, all headquartered outside the city, which I think says something about the need for proximity and regulation. Uh, I'm not trying to defend banking as such. I'm just trying to say that um, uh, uh, actually, if you look at the physical location of headquarters, the city came through <coughs> untouched. And, um, but there has been a huge blow. I think it's silly not to acknowledge that. Um, I think that all sorts of London's competitive advantage will be bitten away. Uh, I think that not only is there reputational damage, but there's practical damage. All sorts of small things that cumulatively are damaging, the, the non-DOMs, the tax thing, the, uh, the, the restrictions on professionals coming in. I know that highly skilled people are supposed to be allowed to come in, but how do you define, you know, the 23-year-old is actually going to be a star trader, but you don't quite know that. You want to get him in here, give him a run at it, and if it works, that's great, and if it doesn't, then you can send it back to the Societe Generale. Um, so I, I, I think that there is this pressure on the place, and I want, therefore, to start by asking Stuart one question, and then the floor will be yours, which is how much damage do you think has been done? Right, fine. Well, first of all, I'm not here to defend um, banks or anybody. Uh, my role is to um, defend the city, if you like, and the city in the broader term, not in the just the square mile, <laughs> but uh, primarily, obviously, to the west uh, of the city, where we have uh, hedge funds and private equity, the wealth center, if you like. The city itself, the traditional square mile, where we have the mixture of traditional businesses and, if you like, the investment banking division down in Docklands. <clears throat> so that entire spectrum is there. I also have another responsibility uh, as a director of the, whatever I am, deputy chairman or something, of the City UK, a new body we formed, which with the government we've agreed will represent all of UK financial services, including Scotland, uh, Wales, Ireland and elsewhere. 
So uh, it's, a, it's a broad church. <clears throat> I'm not, again, particularly interested in how much we pay bankers. I am interested in what we pay them in London versus New York versus competitor cities. I'm not interested in what the top rate of tax is, except how it affects our competitive position. So I'm quite agnostic on many of these issues. Um, has it been damaged? Well, every, I think the damage has been done, frankly, to the banks. I think they're the, probably the worst ones that have got the damage, the reputational issue, and particularly the investment banks, and particularly the American investment banks. Although I suspect that most of the general public when we've had this 18 months, two years nearly of banker bashing, probably don't make that distinction. Um, this is uh, transmuted into a sort of a dislike of anybody earning a lot of money, which is a dangerous legacy. But having said all that, I think we are now moving forward. The election uh, run-up was a period when banker bashing was the thing you did if you wanted to be elected. Uh, if you don't want to be elected, go and have dinner with a banker and suggest there should be a third runway at Heathrow. Now, that will guarantee you <laughs> a failure in the polls. Um, that's been a very bad time for us because we know what's going on, but the outside world doesn't. And I can tell you this, parts of the outside world, particularly Asia, and I've just come back from a week in China, Beijing and Shanghai, which is illuminating, think we're mad. I say, you've got a very successful industry there, and all you do is keep kicking yourselves. Um, and we'd be delighted to pick up the pieces, by the way. Um, so I hope that we actually come through that. Uh, London actually uh, has, I think, probably, if you're talking about global centres now, which, frankly, there is only New York. New York's our biggest competitor. I think we've probably come out of it better uh, in that sense. I don't think there's been a reputational damage to the City of London, per se. Uh, in, it might have been a bit dented, um, but uh, we move on. Many parts, as you know, of the City of London would not contribute to the crisis at all. Many of the insurance companies, the legal profession, and everybody else like this, they of course, of course joined in the gravy train, but they weren't actually a catalyst for the crisis. So, and a catalyst of the crisis, as we know, was not just bankers. It was a whole load of people, including politicians, who enjoyed huge amounts of tax revenue and turned a blind eye. The regulators have failed to regulate. The credit rating agencies who couldn't rate credit uh, and everybody else. So there's a whole host of people involved in this. And what I say is very bright people coming out of Cambridge with a double whatever in maths who constructed fail-safe black boxes which told you exactly how much risk you were taking. All of them failed. And even the economists, no economists, really forecast the depth of this. So I think that's probably a broad view. I think the city has come about. My inter the interest in, uh, in China, obviously, we have offices in Mumbai and Shanghai, is they, they think we are still the top. Um, they still believe uh, probity and everything else is, is the best in the world. So I don't think there has been huge reputational damage. The damage is coming, or possibly coming, from elsewhere uh, in terms of inappropriate regulation. Hmm. Anyway. Well, thanks, thanks so much. I mean, in a sense, I probably should have said that if, if any one person is the choreographer of, of, of these financial businesses, not that you could attempt to, to do it, I suppose. Stuart is more than anyone else. Um, now, I'd like just to go straight to the floor because um, I w don't know what areas that you want to dig at. Um, so, but some questions, please. I'm Sandy Walkington, um, 
was Lib Dem candidate in St Albans, brackets failed, um, close brackets. Um, a quick question, I mean, one, a lot of the language in the general election was about rebalancing the economy away from, quote, an overheated London and the southeast. And we are, of course, facing swinging public expenditure cuts. How much of a risk is that? I think, for example, about projects like Crossrail and some of the necessary infrastructure. If there's a sense that we're already putting a huge amount of money into the Olympics, London always gets the money. How much risk is there that, in fact, London will not have the basic supporting services to keep it competitive? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're very much in support of rebalancing the economy, providing it means developing the other parts of the economy and not just shrinking the financial services sector, which would be a disaster. Um, London and the South East will continue to, to uh, provide the lion's share of growth for the UK economy for many years to come. Uh, the shift uh, in rebalancing is a long-term shift. We need better educational skills. We need to know what we're good at. Uh, uh, and a variety of things, 10-year, 10-15 year program minimum. Uh, in the meantime, we have to generate taxes, uh, we know that, and the financial services does uh, produce taxes. Could I just say one thing too? It has a great future. Uh, you think about the number of Indian and Chinese there are without basic financial services, without a bank account, without an insurance policy, whatever, and in the next 30, 40, 50, to 50 years, those will come up and they will want their financial services. And you know, we're actually pretty good at it. We're actually a world leader in it. So I think it would be very stupid uh, for any politician or, or anybody else to think about uh, downsizing this industry. And then I presume if you then downsize it and get it to a certain proportion of GDP you're content with, you peg it then. So in other words, we can't grow more than the total GDP of the country. I mean, frankly, that is economic nonsense. So um, I think it will be there. London will have to fight its share. You're absolutely right. Um, and the reason for that is because London is less dependent on public expenditure than elsewhere. There are serious parts of the country, sorry, parts of the country and serious uh, difficulty because they're very dependent on public sector spending. And so I suspect that, that London and the South East relatively will lose out a bit in this as the government tackles some of, frankly, harder issues in the north. Thank you. I, I mean, my own, just a small factual observation. If you look at um, tax revenues and you look at um, public spending, there are actually only three areas in the country that are net contributors, um, the South East, London, and East Anglia. And um, that, that is where the money is. It's where it's made. They're the only ones that, that, that have pluses. But everybody has a negative now because, of course, of, the, uh, of what's happened over the last two years. But, but if you go back three years when things were reasonably balanced, they only had three bits of the country which were actually putting money in. All the rest was taking it out. And I don't think that's really sustainable in the very long term um, because it's not equitable between people in different parts of the country. Um, you can't have that. Uh, uh, the second thing is the idea, the idea that you can rebalance from a decision in Whitehall just seems to me to be, Stuart's point, just, just not happen. You pull the levers, but nothing actually happens. Um, and the general principle of business is you, you reinforce success uh, rather than trying to curb it back. 
and mm. I therefore worry about ideas that you stop trying to reinforce success. I think I'd just add to that. I mean, clearly, in all the years I've been in the city, 47 of them, um, I've seen various attempts at relocating offices out of London. Uh, they haven't worked. And then we began to realize that actually people who are in the same occupation like to congregate, so we came up with parks, be they pharmaceutical, be whatever they are, uh, Silicon Valley type things. Uh, London is, financial, is, is a financial services park, if you like. It's where they all meet and gravitate to. And so I think in that sense, uh, unless you're going to be absolutely draconian and forbid anybody to come back into London, I think that London will continue to attract, which is why we still need the transport infrastructure for 2020 and beyond. Charles Stewart-Smith from Editorial Intelligence. Um, Stuart, your, your own firm was um, recently the subject of rumours of takeover by a, an Indian group, which I, I believe were false, but gained quite a lot of coverage and traction. <laughs> and I wonder whether that fact is in part because just as the city has been acquired over the past 20 years in various ways by German, Swiss and American institutions, there is an assumption that Indian, Chinese, Russian and Brazilian institutions will be on the acquisition trail. And I suppose at least my question is how British is the city? How British is it? Oh, not much. <laughs> um, I think your description of it before was perfect in a sense. Uh, it, I mean, that is the fantastic draw about it. This is why the city retains its preeminence, because it's open to everybody. The 300 languages spoken, you can come from anywhere in the world and find a community in London. You'll find restaurants you actually understand eating the food in, things like this. There is no colour prejudice, there's no race prejudice or whatever like that. It's just a question of, can you do your job? And, I, and that openness has been its real talent, because quite frankly, we don't have we, we, we don't have domestic talent large enough to propel us to where we are, which is leading in the world. So we draw upon the talent of the world, and we create the conditions for them to prosper. Interestingly, uh, I hosted a, uh, a lunch a couple of weeks ago uh, for the, uh, all of the Chinese CEOs who are here, banks. Um, and ironically, what they said to me was, well, actually we are here, but where the growth is, is China. So um, I'm not quite sure why they would necessarily want to buy into what is a fairly mature industry in the United Kingdom. Uh, I know they were Indian. Um, but it's possible. I mean, diversification, that type of thing. But we're totally open to it. Um, and I think, uh, although there was a big spate about the Kraft Cadbury deal, I mean, essentially, I think that's what we are about. Um, and uh, I think that's why it's possible. Can I, can I just make a... a Two quick observations on that. I mean, point one, India is now the second largest inward investor in the United Kingdom, uh, larger than Germany, larger than France, second only to the United States. And the second uh, observation is that um, uh, we hugely welcome Russian investment uh, in British newspapers at the moment. Uh, and indeed, uh, I can think of a small circulation newspaper that uh, uh, would be in quite a lot of trouble without it. Hi, Tim Cobb at Barclays. And uh, speaking of China, I was just wondering while you were there and um, what your thoughts are on one of Britain's biggest banks moving its CEO to Hong Kong. Well, <clears throat> I think that um, the title of the bank may have given you a clue as to why I thought that he ought to be in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> the, 
uh, China is, is very interesting because obviously Shanghai, uh, we, we have offices in Beijing and Shanghai. I belong to a small group of people, about 16 of international, who advise the Shanghai government on the development of Shanghai as an international and global centre. Uh, our interest in that is because we do believe that in the very long term this is where the growth is going to be, it's a fact of life, and we need to partner them. We need to be their trusted partner. And you have to be patient, you have to get in early. We have an office in Mumbai, I do the same, I don't advise the Mumbai government as much, but certainly at that level we do talk to very senior politicians again with, with that area. So these cities are going to develop. But um, the interesting thing is that they're not looking at us. Um, they actually look at themselves. So Shanghai is in competition with Hong Kong. Beijing is, it doesn't know quite what it's supposed to be doing. It's got to be in a financial center or not. Uh, and there are some other cities with aspirations, as Singapore. So when you actually talk to them, they don't talk about, oh, we'll take over London's role, or we'll take over New York's role. They think that the whole area is going to grow so rapidly that there's plenty of opportunity domestically. So I don't see them there, rushing there. People rushing over there, it's going to take a long, long time before, you know, when you think about it. You're going to have to change your whole culture, your law, the way you treat people, democracy, not necessarily democracy, but the ability for people to argue with senior people and not get locked up. There's a whole lot of issues which will inhibit people moving seriously to mainland China at the moment. They'll get there eventually, but I mean it's a long haul. So Hong Kong is the only real competitor, if you like, out there. Um, but yeah, I mean it's very sensible for, for that bank to put its man out there. I don't think that says anything about London's finished. I think it just recognises that that bank, along with Standard Chartered, has got a huge business interest in the region. Yes, I did actually. Um, one of the chapters in What Works is about Shanghai and how the municipality is, is, is driving growth um, and its long-term plan. I haven't actually given them any advice, but I did spend a day just trying to understand how their thinking was going uh, uh, in the medium term, and I find it really stunning. I, I just feel the view over the Bund with the ships going out on the tide or coming is one of, one of if you haven't, probably most people in the world have seen this, but it's one of the great sights uh, of, of global commerce. Um, and as you know, the, I think the latest cut of the Goldman Sachs, just grab some seats here, um, uh, BRICS report uh, had uh, China passing the US in terms of becoming the world's largest economy in 2027. Maybe of 2028, I can't, <laughs> probably July. Um, uh, but, but, but uh, um, and that, that, um, that it seems is inevitable. You have to, and if that's inevitable, then the real debate is: is it is it is it Hong Kong or is it Shanghai? Can't be Beijing. They don't. They feel wrong. No, I think though. No, Funny enough, my last dinner there was overlooking the Bund, uh, and it was a lovely warm evening. And for those of you who haven't been there, it, uh, here where we have a uh, an Hermes store, uh, they have a five-story building. I mean, the wealth is just incredible. I mean, they just do anything they want, build, build airports, build whatever they want. But it's a poor country, per capita income. And I sat there and I looked at it and I thought, mm, is that sustainable? Huge wealth, 
against huge poverty. And I think there's a transition that needs to take place. So I'm just a little bit more skeptical in the short term about whether or not this can be done. Um, but anyway, that's another issue. But you know, political stability is a very important part as to where people build businesses, uh, where they put their roots. And uh, the UK is pretty stable, you know. <laughs> Not much to tell between the parties, and the same as America, Democrat and Republican, well, who can tell the two apart? Um, seriously, I mean, the big issues of extreme left have gone away. So political stability is a very important factor when you're talking about uprooting your family, putting them into school, everything else there. So we'll see. Hello, Paul Sloan. Um, you think of Germany and you see multiple successful, prosperous cities. You look at Britain, you see one hugely successful city, and you've explained very cogently why it's a, a magnet for talent and global talent. Is it possible to replicate that elsewhere in Britain, or is London's success doomed? Does it dooms the other cities to permanent failure because it is such a powerful magnet? No, I think though there's specialization, and this is the discussion, funny enough, I was having in China because they've got about five cities that want to do things. And I said, well, you can't all be five global cities. You're going to have to start dividing. So Edinburgh, uh, you know, prosperous fund management, that's the heart of fund management. A lot of people, overseas people, when they're coming here, will go to Edinburgh before they even come to London, say, if they're in that business. Uh, Leeds, Liverpool and all that have got different specialisations. Um, so no, I don't think we suck the entire lifeblood out of the rest of the country. But in terms of an agglomeration of multi-skilled talent, yes, London is the place. But I say these other areas, um, pursuing an active policy of encouraging firms there. When I'm wearing my City UK hat, um, I do actually, it is my job to say to somebody looking to come into Britain, maybe London isn't for you. Maybe you should be up there. Lower costs, good workforce, everything else. Not necessarily London first. And so, it's, but, but it's better to have them in Leeds, Liverpool or Edinburgh than it is in Paris, Frankfurt or New York. Simple as that. Can I, I mean, I, I, think I think I disagree with you there. Oh, I worry much more about the rest of the country. I mean, Edinburgh not, because Edinburgh, Edinburgh's different. But, uh, and Dublin not, actually, despite all the, the, the problems in Dublin. Um, uh, but I do, when I'm in Manchester, which is, you know, hugely, a city I used to know very well, um, you know, Cantering along fine, you know, in those rich suburbs, you know, in Cheshire, but, 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 uh, a lot of boarded up shops, huge lines for the taxi, what's it like, you know, you talk to people, and it, it's not, there's a bit of, there's a bit of flash down here, even now, and there ain't much, even in Manchester, which is not, not an unsuccessful city, so I, do worry about the rest of Britain. I think you're absolutely right to worry. So the, the, the point is, I should make is that the, the regional cities have been hit much harder than London in this crisis. Uh, that is absolutely true, um, and I'm afraid that's just a, well, that's what's happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Simon Ward, Jaguar Land Rover. Um, I'm assuming we're not saying that the capital uh, should only be a financial services business park. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking perhaps in terms of our creative industries, which is one of the strongest exports of the nation. 
so I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about what we need to do uh, to build up the capital's diversity of businesses and business skills, um, both attracting talent and exporting as well. Thank you. Yeah, this is a slightly difficult area because I do believe that nascent industries at times will need some form of support in terms of government support. But I'm not for trying to choose winners by the government. I think we tried that and it failed. But we need to incentivize. It comes back to this rebalance in the economy, which I said at the beginning, I'm absolutely all for. Um, and so we've got to find out what we do well. Um, you know that the real problem with this country is that we don't have an educational system that can really support, in many areas, uh, the high tech or whatever you want to call it, areas that we need to progress in, because we're never going to take on the rest of the world in cheap manufacturing. And the other thing that worries me is, uh, well, first of all, one thing that really worries me is the um, unemployment rate in the sort of 18 to 25-year band, which is horrific. And the second thing is that with 2% growth, most of that can be achieved through productivity. In other words, you can get jobless recovery. If you look at, I think, the latest Japanese car plant they're starting up here, it employs one-tenth or something of the people who would have done five years ago. So it's all robotics, it's capital. So yeah, we're going to have to have a big national debate, I think, as to how we achieve all of these things. Um, and uh, I'm afraid I'm, I can say, as I don't leave that to the national politicians, but they have uh, our support for trying to do it, because it is unhealthy for an economy just to be simply left to the mercies of financial services. And one of the problems, come there in a second, is that, uh, the, the, echoing this, I was up in Speyside, uh, uh, yes, uh, on Sunday, um, and um, uh, went round the Abelard Distillery. By the way, if any, if any of you are on space side, go round the Abelard. It's one of the greats. Um, but make sure that you've got someone else who's going to drive you away. Um, uh, the, but how many people do you employ in this sixth best, malt, largest malt in the world, top seller in France? How many people are actually employed? How many people actually run this show? Well, they have six of them and only one person on duty at a time. So, you know, no jobs. Huge success. No jobs. And that is alarming. Please. Hello, I'm Sue Primer. I used to work in higher education. I now work in financial services. And I was grateful that we broke out of the sort of the strange parochialism uh, with the question about the regions there. But in terms of higher education, there is a driver of the knowledge economy, which I think we haven't really touched on. We have great universities in this country. They are largely based around the country, uh, you know, in the Russell Group and elsewhere, Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Glasgow, great centers of academic research. How do you recommend that we make more of those as drivers of the knowledge and also your economy? Good. Well, again, I think that's national policy, and you're absolutely right. That's one of the huge strengths of the UK. And um, uh, even uh, when I went to India, they'd, uh, they'd replicated Nottingham University uh, in India uh, with Nottingham people there, teachers, and had actually built the thing to, to well, not actually, it's twice the scale, but exactly the same thing. They, I mean, they really do believe in the English education system and our universities, and you're absolutely right how we convert the academic work that is being done, strong academic work, but hasn't that been a problem for the UK for an awful long time? Hasn't a lot of the problem been that we've actually 
managed to, if you like, in brain terms, created something, but the manufacture, production, and profit has ended up somewhere else. So somehow or other, we do need a joined up. And you're abs but, you, but the other thing we need to do is, is we need to rethink how we get involved with education. At a city corporation, we have uh, three academies now, um, and they're all, they're all failing schools. To try and transform that type of thing, to get discipline back into the schools, get them on proper curriculum. They're not, by the way, they're not all learning financial services. But we let them run businesses within the school. We give them a work experience and whatever. We need to move there. So it's both universities which is right. But I think my view is we've really got to tackle the big issue. The big issue is we have too many young people who are not qualified for anything uh, and who are going to have difficulty finding work. Somehow or other, we need to tackle that. But I, education to me, what was it? It was probably Blair or somebody. It's gone well bad. It, it is about education, education, education. Uh, and uh, we must not shoot ourselves in the foot by restricting visas for foreign students, which we actually uh, are in huge danger of doing right now. Uh, it's actually really, really serious. I wonder how you think the city can uh, combat that kind of uh, anti-banking populism, the banking banker bashing you mentioned in your introduction, because in a mood of uh, austerity, when that's the watchword, when people are, I think, maybe dubious about the benefits of growth unless it's qualified with that sustainable uh, word. People aren't, uh, in an old way, really comfortable about saying that growth is just good in itself. How do you kind of go about defending uh, what the uh, city is, justifying in its own terms? I mean, you could kind of dodge the question and say, long term we will sell mortgages to the Indians and Chinese and move to Hong Kong. But if it's to stay part of the British economy, Quick, how do bankers defend, a, them, defend a short, themselves? A short, a brief defence of, uh, of what you actually do to improve the image. I've got one thought, by the way, too. Well, I think, first of all, uh, this will die. The anger will gradually ebb away. It will last longer than previous ones. Believe you me, it will. People will get on with their lives. But you're right, in a sense, because the people in the country have yet to feel the pain. The pain is coming. And we may get a resurgence here. But I think what we do need to emphasize is that the, the tax base for the city uh, is huge. I mean, something like 62 billion uh, a year. And uh, it, it, we must concentrate on generating tax revenue. The role of the government, in my view, is to milk the private sector by as much as it can without killing it. And what we want is bankers earning lots of money because we take a lot of tax. On a bonus, it's nearing 70% marginal rate. Nobody ever talks about that. So I do think we need to be profitable there. But you're right, it's going to be difficult because if we do head into a nearer, not a double dip, but a very slowing down, companies will be finding it difficult. Banks who are facing higher capital charges will be reluctant to lend. But what we are trying to do is to open up capital markets for, for the SMEs, which are the important backbone of this country. So yes, over a period of time, but the thing that worries me still, unfortunately, and believe you me, I've tried, everybody's tried, is to try and get cer certain banks, this is the investment banks, to try and act in some form of collective responsible way with their bonuses. And then frankly, it has just proved impossible. They're so busy eating each other that they really can't work together. And I am worried that 
you know, in a year's time when people are really suffering, there'll be another headline bit about XYZ's bonuses. So we're not out in the woods yet, it's going to be a difficult time, but we just have to try and keep, and preaching, the non-banking bit, sorry, but the bit that does support everything else. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not a quick solution. But I'm, I'm glad to say that to some extent, if the politics are out of it, that will help. And I think it was rather like Wall Street, the guy on Wall Street was saying about this new financial service, 19 billion tax, they're being taxed. He said, that's cheap just to get the president off our back. So I think once the political thing goes out, things will cool down a bit more. And I just have one sentence to add to that before we wrap up, which is that um, I think it'll be hugely helpful when they manage to sell Royal Bank uh, and the Lloyd shares back to the public if they can sell them at a profit. You know, if they actually make a profit for the taxpayer, then that sort of, sort of starts to make feel, people feel a bit better. Thank you so very much. I mean, a special thanks to, to Stuart, but also thanks to you for a series of really interesting questions. I feel we could have gone on for about another two and a half hours and still gone and reasonably enjoying it. Um, Stuart, thank you very okay. much indeed. <laughs>